0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
1: 18 plus. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new?
3: Welcome to Worst Year Ever, a production of iHeartRadio.
4: Welcome to the Worst Year Ever. We will get through it together or Everything Everything's so dumb dum
3: dum dum dum. Hey everybody, welcome back to the incredibly aptly named show Worst Year Ever. My name's Katie Stoll.
5: My name is Robert Evans, and my allergies are exploding horribly, and I apologize for that.
3: That's okay. Apology accepted. Today, uh, we are joined by a very special guest, Michelle Manos, who is a community organizer and the co-founder of Bernie's Coffee Shop. Hi, Michelle. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Michelle and I (laughs) actually met uh, right before the reality of coronavirus really hit here in LA, like right in those transitioning days, I'd say uh, I think we were we were both at the very last. I'm assuming it was the last bar method class that you took. It was the last one that I took, and we kind of connected in the bathroom and 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 struck up a conversation. Um, and she started telling me all about the amazing organizing that she was already doing to provide resources to people here in Los Angeles who might need them during the coronavirus. Can you start by telling us a little bit about the projects you've been working on over the last few weeks, uh, in and kind of how you got them started?
4: Yeah, thanks, Katie. You know, it was pretty interesting when the way we met because I think there was several um, women standing around in the locker room, sort of lamenting the impact yeah. of the virus. And you mentioned your political podcast, and my ears perked up. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I don't do a lot of uh, talking or like socializing and those kinds of I kind of keep to myself. Um, but when you started talking about your podcast, I became very interested because something that, that I think is really important that, that I think we're all always working on is how do we amplify the things that are happening mm-hmm. in our communities when the mainstream media won't cover it? And um, it's really important to get the word out about some of the ways that the is coming together to take care of each other and to provide resources and infrastructure beyond what the governments are able to do right now. And so, a couple of the projects I've been working on. My main focus right now is called Project Mask LA or Project Mask Los Angeles um, on social media. And uh, the purpose of that project is we signed up several dozen volunteer sewists, and um, many of them are costume designers, many of them mm-hmm. are our amateur uh, sewists. And we have been um, coordinating the um, project so that we can do batches of masks to the most at risk. Uh, members of our community. So, so far we've been providing masks uh, to frontline volunteers and to uh, essential workers, to uh, assisted living facilities and uh, shelters and places like that around the community. We're working with a couple of city council members so far. Um, they're helping us uh, point us in the right direction regarding like who really needs these masks and, and quickly. And it's been really wonderful to be able to, to participate in helping to keep each other safe. Um, One of the other things that I'm working on right now is uh, Urban Partners Los Angeles, which is an organization that has been providing a food bank over in Koreatown for, uh, the food bank has gone on for over 20 years. And a couple of my good friends are on the board of that organization, and they were quickly trying to make sure that they could scale fast enough to, you know, layer in all of the safety and, and sanitary needs to continue the food bank for the members of the community that already rely on it. And uh, in the time since the coronavirus outbreak has started, the community reliance on the food bank has doubled. And so wow. we expect to continue to grow as people continue to be out of work. So that one is really important as well. And we'll link yeah. to
3: all of that for listeners in our episode Absolutely. description so that everyone can check out all those wonderful things Michelle is working on. I'm so blown away by that. You know... <laughs> One of the things that struck me when we we first met was not only that you were organizing to, to to fill a need, but you were anticipating a need and forming a plan to help before the full reality of all of it had really hit, and and I, I just found that incredibly impressive. How um, and and the Project Mask uh, LA hadn't. You didn't even mention that to me yet. You just pulled all of this together incredibly rapidly. How many people are you working with on on that project specifically? And, and, and how did you specifically get all of these people uh, together?
4: Sure. Well, so originally it was the idea of a friend of mine who is a professional costume designer. Um, but she and she's a incredibly progressive, politically minded. And uh, she's volunteered for years. But uh, she didn't have the capacity to organize it. So she came to me and said, listen, I'm connected to all these people who sew. I'm in these communities. I'd like to find a way to organize them or to give them a place to to make these masks. She had her finger on the pulse um, of the, the need for masks. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like happened with us in L.A. at the same time as everybody had the same idea around the country. Like groups of mask making people popped up. Right. And so. um it started with a Google form, and when we realized how many people were willing to sew for a project like this, we had to get organized very quickly. The team now is about 12 people, and like a co- like the core organizing team, we have um, a full delivery team, we have a full laundry team with about dozen a dozen people on each of those teams spread right throughout the city, and we have protocols for each of the, for the cleanliness for each of the teams and a coordinator for each of those sort of buckets of work. We also have an amazing graphic designer who's been doing all the great graphics that you see on the social media and, um, you know, doing like the stickers that we're putting on the bags and things like that. And so, and just a couple of a really amazing, uh, folks who stepped up to want to organize this and make sure that it was effective. And, um, you know, there's this movement in Los Angeles is full of talented people. I have to give a shout out to, um, who has really become like, my co-organizer on this project, her, her name is Chelsea Straw, and she is our lead sewer, our lead sewist, and also our nurse consultant. She recently um, passed her nursing exam, and she's been really carrying the weight of the research and the contact for the sewist volunteers regarding like what material works and what doesn't, how to go about creating masks in a sanitary way, how to keep your workspace clean. So many of those things that we've been able to implement have come from her experience on the medical side. So, um, it's a really wonderful and active and talented team. And like I said, in addition to a couple dozen, uh, sewing volunteers, we have about 10 driving volunteers and I think 14 laundry volunteers, Wow! all sort of, you know, what, what I've come to term, like the flight patterns throughout the city. I'm like, I'm not a math person, but (laughs) we have an amazing, uh, delivery coordinator who's really been taking on like how to get things from A to B. And uh, it's been pretty beautiful so far.
3: What's the workflow like? You're talking about the the laundry services and everything like that. So, like you have people making masks, and then you have a pickup to take it to be laundered to make sure that it's disinfected and all of that.
4: Yeah. So basically, and that's part of like it's a it's a large logistical operation. My role is the logistics coordinator. I don't sew. <laughs> I do do <laughs> new driving. Um, but I don't have laundry at home. And that's one of our requirements is that all the laundry volunteers have a washer dryer in their home mm-hmm. in order to prevent any additional risk of contamination. And so, uh, the, the, the sewists make requests for materials and we have people donating materials. Um, so we get them whatever they need within our capacity. They produce, you know, a bulk of masks, maybe 10 or maybe 50 or maybe hundred or 200 We send our drivers to go and get them and they go to a laundry volunteer and they are laundered. And then from the laundry volunteer uh, at at the laundry volunteers uh, location, the masks are put into their own individual sandwich baggie with an information card about, you know, make sure to wash and things like that and how to wash the mask before using it each or after using it each time. Um, so all... all the masks go to a hub. We have two distribution hubs. One is Bernie's Coffee Shop in Mid-City and one is the Food Not Bombs Collective in Silver Lake. And the hub will count them and log them and then batch them into the correct amounts for the drivers to pick up and take them to their end user.
3: This is all incredibly well thought out. I'm, I'm very been impressed all by that.
4: Been a <laughs> pulling this thing together, but it's been so amazing to watch it come together,
3: really. I'm sure there's a lot of learning on the fly as you're going, doing this.
4: The organizer, you just sort of redeploy your skills for whatever is needed at the time, you know, and so like the delivery coordinator is amazing because he's an Uber driver for part of his, you know, profession (laughs) for his income. And so he has an idea of what's convenient, what makes sense, what the city layout looks like, what drivers go through. And then again, like all of us having to layer in these safety and sanitary practices to to protect each other and the end recipients of the masks.
3: Well, it's clear that this is not uh, your first time doing community organizing. Uh, it was clear from our very first conversation. Uh, and then when I actually had a chance to, to talk with you before we recorded, I was truly blown away by all of the incredible work that you've you've done over the years. Uh, and I would love for you to take some time and and Describe some of those experiences and and the other things that you've worked on.
4: Sure. Well, uh, kind of where to start. Um, You know, I I was always what I would call progressive. I don't necessarily identify as a liberal anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I I do identify as like a leftist progressive, a socialist, a democratic socialist. Um, I'm a big Bernie supporter, and I have been since uh, 2008, when I first learned about, uh, at the time, Representative Sanders. And, uh, you know, he was saying the things that that no one else was saying that I was thinking and my friends were thinking and and no one was saying it uh, on any public airwaves or from any, you know, important pulpit. So it was very, uh, in, you know, it was very important to me to continue to follow him. And, and when he announced in 2014 that um, if no other progressive candidate stepped up to run for president, that he would run. And so, you know, when he announced that he was running in 2015, I found some people and I'm lucky to live in a city like Los Angeles where there are more of us and there are some resources um, and there is beautiful community here. And uh, several of us just wanted to find an office where we could volunteer for Bernie Um, phone banking, canvassing. uh, This was kind of before this was right before text banking was really big. And, And so we it was about half a dozen of us at the time, we formed a group called Team Bernie L.A. And we found out later that we had established the first full-time all-volunteer office for Bernie Sanders in the state of California. Wow. And that was in uh, South L.A., the Lemert Park neighborhood. And then from there, about two, two to three weeks before the primary in California in 2016, we launched Bernie's Coffee Shop. And that location set Record numbers for phone bankers and canvassers at the end of the 2016 campaign. Senator Sanders gave a shout out to uh, our district and the the numbers we had done there, and so it was pretty amazing. Um, yeah, the whole story behind Bernie's coffee shop too. But you know, I think it was Senator Sanders. I'll always be able to say, you know, thank you, Bernie, for awakening the the full time activist in me because I always had. These passions for organizing people to to help each other and to build community, but I didn't have those words yet. And I didn't mm-hmm. have the tools yet. And when 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 Bernie's campaign brought us all together, we learned from each other. And I'm very grateful for that.
3: Yeah. I've got more questions for you regarding Bernie, but first I wanna can you give us a little bit of history of Bernie's coffee shop? Because it's actually kind of a cool story. It's a local Los Angeles landmark that had been closed down for a while, correct?
4: Yeah. So it's the old Johnny's coffee shop on Wilshire and Fairfax. Many people who are longtime Angelinos remember when it was a diner and a restaurant. Um, and, and the owners of that space, you know, it needs too much work to, to turn it back into a functioning restaurant right now. There are plumbing issues that would have to be dealt with and things like that. But you know, the, the family that, that owns the lot are big Bernie supporters and it was originally going to be a media stunt. Um, in, back in 2016, it, we we brought together a team of like filmmakers and artists and you know organizers and builders and things like that. And um, it was going to be you know Johnny's co- historic Johnny's coffee shop one night only as Bernie's coffee shop. And we did this big gorgeous unveiling, and a whole bunch of media showed up. Francis Fisher uh, cut the ribbon with the big you know uh, uh, scissors and things. Mm-hmm. And and those of us who were organizers. Kind of went to the to the owners to the landlord and said, "What about keeping this thing open and inviting people to come volunteer here?" Mm-hmm. And they were with it. So, so that's exactly what we did. And again, you know, and and I'll I'll send you some pictures, you know, f- afterwards. But these, it's very large inside, and there's two main counters, kind of in an L shape, and the long counter was was filled with canvassing packets and then like food and snacks for the volunteers. All the booths were filled with phone bankers the whole day, the all week long. And then on the short side of the counter, we did merchandise. People brought us boxes of Bernie's books, you know, T-shirts, anything we could think of, you know, we had the campaign at the time bringing us packs of bumper stickers, anything we could do to bring in a few bucks so we could feed the volunteers so we could keep the lights on so we can keep volunteering for Bernie. And it's really beautiful. As you said, the building is a historical cultural landmark in Los Angeles. So we don't do any major changes to the structure of the building besides keeping it up. And so there's a, an interesting side story. If you've seen the mural, the, you know, it's an old 50s diner with the Googie mm-hmm. architecture. And there's a, there's a gorgeous Googie style uh, mural on the Fairfax side of the building that after two years or so, somebody in the neighborhood started to complain, and we got a notice we were going to have to take the mural down. And uh, we we rallied the troops. We we sent letters. We created a slideshow. We asked for a hearing. About forty people sh- and from the community showed up to that hearing uh, with the Historical Cultural uh, Society here in LA. And they we had a slideshow about political art and and the art history of the space and. Being right there in Museum Row and and being a neighbor to LACMA and the Peterson Auto M- Museum, and the th- <laughs> the beautiful thing that came out of that was that rather than make us take the mural down, they actually declared the mural its own historical cultural monument.
3: I love that! Wow, that's such, such a big a, cool a lot of happy tears that day. I
4: love it <laughs> so much. And the artist we you know we we had looped in the artist who's now based in Arizona. We were like, they're trying to make us take your mural down. Like, can you help us? And he was so happy. We were all so happy.
3: That's a, a great, great story.
4: story. It's a great... Um, story. I still have the slideshow, too. It's a great slideshow. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through together or not.
1: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
2: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps>
0: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
2: Play for free at
1: LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Boy, were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S.,
3: this nice moment down just a little bit, I think, and give a slight tangent from our organizing talk. I think a lot of progressives uh, were dealt a kind of a blow last week when when Bernie officially suspended his campaign. And we've seen a lot of conversations, you know, debates about whether or not Bernie supporters will be voting for Joe Biden. Uh, you know, people have very reasonable fears about that or or Qualms with Joe Biden, and it's something that we are all going to have to spend the next several months figuring out for ourselves. And I think we're all a little bit curious uh, how you're feeling right now, what you're thinking about all of that.
4: Yeah, uh, I mean this this particular Bernie supporter will not be voting for Joe Biden. Yeah, Um, I'm well aware and just as horrified as everyone else about the the problems with Trump and the administration that we have. Uh, However. You know, and I, I don't, I don't need to tout any credentials, but I did do mm-hmm. my undergrad and my master's in, in political science and global politics, and I, I am horrified as well by the steady march to the right uh, for the United States that has been occurring pretty much since the Reagan years.
5: I do want to ask, while we're still on the subject of like, you know, uh, uh, Joseph Robinette Biden. Do you think your calculus would be any different if you lived in a swing state somewhere where mm, that, like that was literally kind of cuz 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 you know I'm I'm in this point of like I'm not going to vote for Biden either but I live in a state where the state's going to go for Biden right so I'm not I'm not on an electoral sense worried um and I I'm curious as to whether or not that's entered into your calculus at all
4: For me it doesn't and I don't envy the position of people who think like I do or like we do uh, who are in swing states. I mean, my, my own mother you know, is a huge Bernie supporter and is very proud of the work that we do. She's in New Jersey and feels the need to participate in defeating Trump, which I don't have any blame or ill will towards anybody who feels that way. I totally get it and understand. For me, it's not just about Bernie. Um, our, our eyes are open now to the complacency and the corruption of the establishment within the Democratic Party the um the sort of jaded bitterness with which they operate many of our friends here in uh in, in at the local level attempt to participate in the Democratic Party at the local and state level and are consistently shut down it's a very toxic environment to attempt to participate in local party politics as a you know as a progressive uh, and what we've been saying about Bernie Sanders Bernie Sanders for a long time is that he is is really pretty down the middle politically on the global mm-hmm. political spectrum. However, as I was saying, you know, this country has been marching to the right for several decades and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the sort of right off a cliff phenomenon. We are now in, in a corporatist, fascist sort of scenario. And um, I, I personally, you know, my ideals bigger and, and beyond Bernie Sanders don't allow me to participate in, in endorsing that sort of uh, political structure. I think we need to to overhaul and I don't I don't identify myself as like Bernie or Bust. I don't think mm-hmm. that, that it doesn't have to be like a, a dichotomy like that. But I do think we need to think extremely critically about the situation in which we find ourselves because you know, Joe Biden and and, and Donald Trump are are far more similar to each other than than Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden are. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of people feel that. the the shaming of, of, you know, okay, Bernie supporters, it's time to fall in line. A lot of us are not Democrats and don't owe our vote to anybody in the party. And we came out and attempted to get involved. And Bernie Sanders asked us to be Democrats for a little while to, to, to participate in the power structures that exist and attempt to bring that power back to the people. And the, the DNC and the establishment within the democratic party, rather than Than being in awe of Bernie's ability to bring young people into the party and to bring a diverse coalition into their party, they they attempted to stop it at every turn, and ultimately they seem to have succeeded in this in this moment. Uh, And and the the message that we received was loud and clear: you are not wanted.
5: Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't disagree with any of your calculus there, and I, I in fact feel the same way. But I also like I have to I think that I probably would wind up you know, swallowing a lot of things in order to do what I could to get Trump out. Because while he and Biden have a lot similar, like I, uh, the the person that I live with right now is a, is a Chinese national. Um, and just the changes in her life and the lives of a lot of friends yeah. of mine who are immigrants as a result of all of this, like there are things that wouldn't be as much of a problem as they are right now if Biden were in office. And I guess that's kind of like, I am I, I feel two ways about it because I agree yeah. with you. Like the Democratic Party, if it weren't, if the Republican Party didn't exist, the Democratic Party would be the most despicable organization in the United States. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like
4: that. That's but yeah, but at, yeah, yeah.
5: Yeah, so, but at, at the same right point, point there, there, is there is a difference, difference between, between the two of them. Yeah, yeah.
4: there there is, but I think perhaps the I don't want to I don't want to get a sort of caught up in uh, who's worse kind of questions. I, I think that the the issue of being asked to vote for the lesser of two evils. Okay. For instance, right. Part of my work has included being a founding member of the me too movement here in Los Angeles. Right. I'm not talking Mm -hmm. about big me too. I'm not talking about times up. I'm talking about, you know, the the grassroots movement of women and survivors to believe women and survivors here in Los Angeles. And um, so we did our first big March with several thousand people um, in, I think, November of 2017, and in addition to that, I've done also a lot of work with and for and alongside immigrants and immigrant communities, direct action, uh, video and written content around the kids in cages, things like that, um, working with uh, uh, Native groups that are not only, uh, you know, horrified by the situation of, you know, people crossing the border, but also continuing to suffer under the, the continued colonization of uh of the current day right um and so i no, nobody can speak for an entire community there's differences about opinions about biden and trump and bernie within immigrant communities there's differences in in the me too movement but i'll tell you that that my friends that i'm connected to that are still actively organizing me too um they will not be endorsing joe biden and i i think we know why you know um and the biggest fear that I have right now is that, um, and her last name is forgetting me, Tara um, Reed. Tara Reed. My biggest Tara, fear right now Reed, is, yeah. that the, is that the Democrats will attempt to vilify Tara Reed, and if that if we start to see that happen, that is just absolutely unforgivable. Um yeah. So, you know, and yeah. in, you have Im- in the immigrant communities, you also have to understand that people were calling Obama the deporter in chief for years before sure. President Trump was even a possibility. Obama oh, deported yeah. more people than Bush. You yeah. know, eight years of Obama was worse for, in many ways, for our immigrant communities than eight years of Bush, uh, with the possible exception of, you know, the vilifying of uh, Muslims un- after 9-11. But, you know, what we're talking about is two parties that in, in their own way. Right. And you could argue one potentially more dangerous because they attempt, they attempt to make it look like they're being your friend. You know, they attempt to look good on the social issues, but N- Nancy Pelosi is up there. You know, what is she doing? Her, her golf clap and she's ripping up Trump's speech, but you know, uh, on the very same week she's approving his military budget with yeah, no performance. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not just not interested in that yeah. anymore. And and I, I know some people will say, well, h- how do we protect the people that are suffering under this administration currently in these horrific ways? I think we take to the streets. I think we we flood into the we flood into the party structures and the power structures and take them over. What you guys are doing here with independent progressive media, all these things matter. Um, but voting for someone who is more of the same and you know holds many of the the ideological uh, problems that the current president does, I I, I just can't, you know, I can't be a party to that.
3: It's tough. I've said this several times on this show. Just the realization. I mean, it's not a realization. I've known this, but this cycle has certainly underscored it, that we are vastly different parties (laughs) trying to get one person nominated. Vastly different Political affiliations here, and and yes, we align ourselves with the Democratic establishment in order to try to progress this agenda. You know this philosophy, and it's it's continually disappointing. I I feel bolstered, and this might be me being naive. This might be me being. uh, I'm someone that's that tends to veer towards hopeful because that's my sort of my coping mechanism with life. Uh, I'm 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 proud of us. I'm proud of the gains that have been made. I'm I'm. I'm disappointed by what's happening right now and I'm also uh invigorated by how m- how many people I see now that align with me. Um and I I think that we are further ahead than we've ever been.
5: I find myself veering between two things, which is that like I grew up uh very conservative and I watched as these things that like these very fringe beliefs that like when i was a kid my parents were like no one really agrees with these people these people aren't normal conservatives like they, they they don't have any power or anything and they never will and i watched them very methodically and very carefully take over the republican party and they did it by compromising they did it by voting with people who were 20 30% on board with them and then either marginalizing those people or pushing them further because those folks were power hungry and i watched it get to the point where now my parents are endorsing all of the views that when i was younger they said were were not representative of normal mm-hmm. conservatives. so i i am not a person i have very i would say very very far left political beliefs. um much more so than than mr sanders even. um but i i have watched a radical political party take over a mainstream political party. so i don't believe it's impossible. um mm-hmm. at the same time I also recognize like where the hour is. Like because of how how much progress the far right has made in taking over the Republican Party, we don't have twenty five years. Right. Right? There for a variety of reasons. We, we don't have, have, have twenty five years.
3: years. Of climate, yeah. You know? yeah. Maybe we bought and, ourselves a bit of time with coronavirus.
5: <laughs> yeah, that's one of the upshots of it, I guess. Um but I I so I I'm not I'm not someone I don't reject electoralism out of hand, but also um, I don't know. Like taking to the streets is all well and good, but I have seen for, one of the things that's been really frustrating to me is how um, even a lot of like the progressive left has kind of thrown anti-fascist street activists under the bus mm-hmm. uh, because of the way you know it, how, it, and I I don't know. I guess maybe the mask issue has been sort of one, thanks to the coronavirus, too. People aren't going to complain about that so much in the future. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were I, just
3: forward thinking.
5: <laughs> the big task is how do we, I mean, really, the question that we're all asking, dancing around, I think, is how do we get a general strike going? Because that's that's what's necessary. Like, the yeah. hour is late enough that we need to, we need to get enough of America on board a simple list of demands that would take sizable chunks out of like the big issues facing us um, that we can have some breathing space to figure out the rest and I I guess you're better at organizing than I am for damn sure you have a lot more experience (laughs) with this what do you how do we how do we how do you think we start doing that how do we save the world Uh, please answer in
4: the form of a question
5: (laughs) Yeah. you know
4: uh, they say that luck is a combination of persistence and timing. And uh, I'm a pretty firm believer in that, that, you know, we get opportunities in cycles, right? If we had attempted to throw a march about surviving sexual violence without the media moment that had happened, you know, it wouldn't have had 4,000 people and it wouldn't have had international media covering it, right? We we had a moment where we looked at each other, you know, we were all sitting around at Bernie's coffee shop and we looked at each other and said, wow, we have an opportunity to make a splash on this issue right now if we move quickly, you know? And yeah. so it's, it's really about when, when is, when are the people going to be ready? So I know one, one thing that you guys, or whether I talked to Katie about offline was, um, working with the, Rent issue and reclaim our homes, and the tenants' unions, and the fact that you folks have been covering those issues. um, I think it's an amazing moment for reclaim our homes, uh, which is, you know, families basically uh, houseless families, unhoused families moving into vacant houses that are on public property, right? They're owned by Caltrans and they've been sitting in some cases for decades empty. They're single family homes in you know, nice average or above average neighborhoods that are sitting boarded up because they're owned by Caltrans and they're not being used. Yeah. And so what we have is support for the idea that people should not have to be on the street, right? So you can get public support for something like a housing occupation in a moment like this, where the coronavirus is on top of everyone's mind and people are not supposed to be outside. And yet we're allowing families to live on the streets. And- so it's a big difference in, in the narrative because of, because there's a larger public narrative happening. I think that organizing for things like a rent strike and a, and a loan strike um, could get us to the, a general strike. But here's the issue with a general strike. The biggest impact of a general strike is people not going to work, which most people are already not doing. So part of what we could do in this moment is capitalize on the idea of, well, hey, Maybe it really is those grunt workers that power the damn economy, that are the engine. Because when people can't go to their minimum wage jobs in broad scale, the whole damn thing is shutting down globally. Right. I saw a meme floating around that said, uh, you know, people tell Mother Earth, well, we can't possibly shut down global capitalism. We can't possibly close down the economy to deal with climate change. And Mother Mm -hmm. Earth goes, here's a virus practice.
3: I know. I, I That was one of the first things I was thinking in all of this is it's like, wow, we've shown that we actually can mobilize on a great big scale and we can see rapid results from that. We can see the earth start to regrow a little bit. You know? And now
4: all of a sudden you have people talking about universal basic income,
3: uh, mm-hmm. universal
4: health care. Uh, you, know, you have people talking about, again, like masses of people sleeping outside and sleeping in the streets and we have it ta- we ha- we're talking about it in a way that really affects us all right because no matter how wealthy you are it still is gonna mess you up when you go to get gas and you can't touch that that gas handle right. or you want to get your coffee and your coffee shop is closed down you know and and it's yeah. really starting to force us to consider the role that we have in our interconnectedness and why it makes sense to be able, like Canada implemented monthly UBI almost immediately. Many mm-hmm. other countries are doing the same. South Korea is leading the way in identifying cases and 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 uh, issuing the the uh, social distancing type measures to keep people from spreading this thing. And they're listening. You know, the people are listening because in many other places around the world. Uh, you know the leadership of the countries and the formation of the the governance is all about the interconnectedness of the people, whereas in America we've really built a pride on this sort of libertarian sort of every man for himself I, i'm I'm not concerned with whether my neighbor has what they need as long as I have what I need and you know you, you've asked about what to do um, about what to do about the fact that we have to deal with reality. How it is, right? And we have to deal with the fact that we have this monster in the White House, and we could continue to go in the wrong direction if we're not very careful in this moment. And I agree, but I I start to take the perspective, and and when I take my 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 humanity hat off, right, and I, I let myself get out of the the anger for a second, and I, I sort of put my political scientist hat on, and I go, well, well, look at this grand experiment, right, the The great American experiment has lasted perhaps 300 years before, you know, it seems to have peaked and the bottom, you know, in my opinion, during the FDR years um, and the bottom has fallen out from it. And, you know, I'm not going to I don't advocate any which way. I'm not I'm not married to any any path right now. I think that regardless of what happens, we have a responsibility to help and save as many people as we can. And we have a responsibility to each other, first and foremost, because mm-hmm. those in power are so incredibly disconnected from what we're going through that, you know, I I do support. One of the biggest things that, that Bernie Sanders gave us was the will and the drive and the understanding of the importance of running for office. So as much as, you know, I may leave that that top of the ticket blank, uh, come November, um, you know, I'll absolutely be voting all the way down the ballot for all the progressives that I can find that are attempting to take this power structure back for the people, because it does involve getting involved in your community, running for your local seats, everything from dog catcher, you know, school board all the way on up and really advocating within those spaces for progressive policies. And that's what I was talking about when I said, it's a bit of exposing yourself to some toxicity because you know within these establishment spaces there's a lot of gaslighting and telling progressives that these policies are just yeah. not possible yeah. and we need to be realistic and then we look around the world and go who are the ones that are being unrealistic here you know yeah
3: yeah, yeah. and I, um i have a, and speaking of uh, gaslighting did you see barack obama's endorsement video today and how oh, much he, he weaponized oh, Bernie sanders in it
4: i didn't see it i read about it i perhaps we'll have the stomach for it later yeah <laughs> i have
3: avoided it so far
4: um
5: boy howdy
4: to read about how yeah, I do and i was duped by obama yep. i voted for obama twice sure. and then i found out that so yeah. you know, he we he came into office and he was we were bombing two countries and when he left office we're bombing seven countries you know he had a he had a, an opportunity to lift up bernie sanders and continue towards progressivism and you know he he made his decision he made it starkly oh. Oh. clear and ugly. <laughs> in my mind, and I feel completely duped by the Obama years.
5: Oh, I thought you were going to say that's a 300% improvement, so like, yeah, look at, look at where we... <laughs> <laughs>
4: Welcome to the worst year ever, we'll get
2: through together or not. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you.
5: since you're you're working with reclaim our homes i wanted to talk to you a little bit about kind of i guess you'd say like illegalism which um has been really pushed out of kind of mainstream left-wing politics for a while and i think reclaiming our homes is the first time i've i've seen something that that is widely popular and seems to be getting some some traction on a larger scale that is based around sometimes we have to break the law to do the right thing and i I've seen, like, the Republican Party already got on board breaking the law to make their things happen a while ago, um, and I I think that uh, this idea that, like, okay, well, if there's homes here that are owned by the government, maybe we just open them up, I see that as one of the more—this understanding that uh, there's not actually any value in just being polite and waiting your turn and holding off on doing something necessary because it'll make people— um, angry or violate the law. And I'm, I'm curious as to, I don't know whether or not you're even thinking about it in that sense or, or, or what, but that's, that's something that has occurred to me in this. And I think something that has a lot of potential, um, for future necessary movements as we encounter food shortages and medical shortages and the like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
4: And I just want to clarify, I'm not organizing with Reclaim Our Homes. I've, I've been, volunteering with them and supporting them. Yeah. Um, yeah. My friend and, and mentor is good friends with one of the lead organizers with reclaim our home. So I'm, I'm, you know, grateful to be able to be, uh, to be able to tap in and really find ways to help. Like we've delivered groceries to the families. Um, we're organizing to get them some of the equipment they need. And what, what's really happening though, the, the hard work is, is the volunteers are taking shifts to help guard the community because there's backlash from residents, from detractors, from police. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a very, it's a very, um, you know, sensitive situation. And mm-hmm. uh, regarding your question about thinking about it in terms of legalities, I mean, listen, I'm i I'm a socialist. I'm not an anarchist. Um, I'm, I, I'm only, I'm only really, uh, the type of person that wants to see a just society. So, I believe in a strong society that is built as a collective. I believe that we are all in this together. And, and I believe in following the rules when the rules are to benefit the most or the all, right? But unfortunately, we don't live in a society where the rules are set up to benefit the most or the all. We live in a society where the rules are set up to benefit the status quo and the elite. I mean, just this you know, coronavirus response right now is is just resulting in another massive transfer of wealth Mm -hmm. to the top, to Wall Street, right? While they parse out a little $1,200 for us, like that doesn't even cover half of people's rent in Los Angeles, you know, and they want to dangle that in front of us as a one-time thing while we're hearing the headlines about other countries that are getting a monthly UBI during this and things like that. And they're leaving it up to individual companies and individual industries to determine how they're going to handle things or individual cities. And the the governors are looking at the federal government. Like, is it really all on us? You know? And, and you listen to this president speak and, and much as I hate the Democrats, nobody wants to hear you blame the Democrats right now. People want answers, you know? And and so frankly, you know, they find a reason every 10 years or so to, to, to do a massive transfer of wealth. And, and last time in, in the 2008 crisis, you know, they robbed people's pensions and 401ks, right? By, by uh, illegal um, illegal uh, insurance scams, right? And they were able to basically bet against the American people and, and the homeowners of this country and transfer that wealth then um, via the insurance policies that they had purchased on yeah. things like their mortgage-backed securities, right? So we all know that that happened. And here we find ourselves again— in a a crisis situation where they've created a a pathway to transfer wealth to the very wealthy already. So when it, when you look at it like that and you look at it that, you know, again and again and again, you find, uh, decisions made in favor of industry and quote unquote, the economy rather than the health and well-being of the people. I mean, I I use Amazon and I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get lambasted for saying that, um, But but I do. And not a lot from time to time. But, you know, the that this is something that it should it should exist, but it should be nationalized. It should not be to benefit one or or very few people. And the workers should not have to uh, put up with the conditions that Amazon is currently imposing upon them. But when a company like Amazon or Facebook is so deeply integrated into our society that it is too big to fail, then it should belong to the damn people that's my opinion on things like that. So until we are making moves towards a society that looks something like a just society, then then take those homes that are sitting vacant when you have unhoused families, not just unhoused in general, but now in the middle of a pandemic when people are literally being told by police to go inside and some people have no place to go. It's, it's horrific that they didn't Mm -hmm. already open the doors to those Mm -hmm. homes and many others as well. We have
3: been talking for 45 minutes about all the incredible stuff you've been working on, and we've barely even scratched the surface of your past. I mean, you've mentioned... <laughs> i a lot,
4: so just tell me to shut up, too.
3: No, no, it's incredible. It's wonderful. You know, you've mentioned Me Too and your work with that and, and Reclaim Our Homes. Um, you know, you also have been did stuff with Standing Rock. You were at Standing Rock. Uh, you work with California for Progress. I think... For me, what's so inspiring about all of this and this conversation is yes, this is the status of our government and of our, our society right now. And yes, we may not be able to support the uh politicians that we are offered, but there are things that we can do ourselves to organize, to, to come together, to fight back against all of this stuff, to do actual tangible work that that affects people's lives immediately. <laughs> and 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 this is incredible for us to have this opportunity to talk to you because it demystifies it a little bit. I mean, you you are an event planner, am I right? That's your background. Yeah,
4: freelance event planning. Mm-hmm. And and yes, I... I don't know, nobody's doing events anymore, right? Currently, writing, freelance writing.
5: Oh, why aren't why aren't why aren't events happening right now? Is there something that's going on? they
4: not. <laughs> I I was. <laughs> For my income, for me personally, you know, about half my income came from freelance events and half from my freelance writing. And so I'm down to just the writing. So I'm trying to expand on that.
3: Well, you know, this is a good time to write your masterpiece, what yeah. so I've been told.
4: <laughs> Not that things aren't stressful. A friend of mine who yeah. was, oh, yeah. we've been saying for years, we're going to write a book. He kind of said that to me the other day. Too. <laughs> but I think now it's
5: just the time.
3: It's so inspiring to me that, okay, so you've got this skill set. You are an event planner and a writer, yes. But, you know, you you, you bring that to your work and, and do community organizing. And, you know, and, and earlier you're talking about everything that you've done for, for the masks here in L.A. You've got people, seamstresses. You've got an Uber driver coordinating the delivery. You know, it's, it's, it's people using what they have to do something tangible, uh, and that's what I really w- wanted to hammer home with this episode also, to to say that we all have that power within our reach, if, if there's something that we can do.
4: So, you know, after the 2016 campaign came to an end and, you know, Team Bernie L.A., as it existed, voted to disband. I voted against that, but I was outnumbered. <laughs> and so a couple of us who still wanted to work together kind of looked at each other and were like, what do we want to do? And a friend of ours had created California for Progress, a logo, a website, he set up the social media infrastructure. And he was like, do you guys want this? Like, I created this, you know? And we kind of just looked at each other and said, do you guys want to be California for Progress? Sure, let's be California for Progress. <laughs> and, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that we were able to do because... It's such an innocuous name. It can, it can do anything, right? It can support the Me Too movement. It can support immigrants. It can support Bernie. It can do whatever it wants to do. And it's pretty clear in the name, like, what it is. Um, and so really, though, the the point of my saying that is that once we showed up to volunteer together, right, and we kind of went through the ringer for a few months together, we were in the trenches together with the Bernie campaign, and it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to, But we wanted to continue to make a difference i mean even with bernie's coffee shop once the campaign was over the coffee shop became more of a community center based in the issues right and i can talk Mm -hmm. more about how we've utilized the coffee shop in the interim between the campaigns but the key of it is is once you find a a little niche where you enjoy volunteering and you meet other like-minded people who also enjoy volunteering then it's just a little hop skip to get together and say Let's create a project of our own. Let's start an initiative. What do we like to do? Do we want to gather signatures? Do we want to knock on doors? Do we want to create media content? Do we want to put marches in the streets and create events and we do media awareness? Like you can decide with your with your group of friends basically that are that share these that A share the same or similar views as you and B are willing to volunteer their time. So all of us who are organizers and it seems like, you know, we're out here like doing these, these big, like um, sometimes it seems like untouchable. I know like when I look up to people like, you know, Melina Abdullah from Black Lives Matter, you know, I think, wow, like this person has been doing this for decades and really understands what we're dealing with here, you know, and is fighting for the most marginalized or, or uh, my mentor, Carlos Merkin who has been working on housing issues since the foreclosure crisis and has really anchored himself in that sort of um, that struggle of how to lift up the people who are suffering the most under these systems. When we entered into the Bernie movement, we did it for uh, to try to make Bernie president. Right. But we came out of it going, Holy cow, there's a lot of work to do. I mean, as a, as a community organizer or as a, as an activist really, you can run yourself ragged and many people do. And many people have to hit the wall before they reorganize, you know, themselves to say, okay, I need to have boundaries with this Mm -hmm. work because you can work 24 hours a day, seven days a week and, and still feel like you're not doing enough. And so part of what it, what it really is, is finding a niche, you know, finding a type of work that you really like to do. Is it food bank stuff and, and helping the poor and the unhoused? Is it, Doing that work within the Democratic Party and and showing up to your local county and city and state party and, and being a progressive voice in that space and, and running for an office or being on the e board or something like that, if that strikes your fancy, do it. I'm I'm also, we haven't even talked about my, my work with KPFK. Yeah. I'm currently the the chair of the board at our local Pacifica station, KPFK in Los Angeles. And that's because, you know, and a strong in strong functional. Productive, independent media is extremely important to me. And so when a friend of mine who was on the board said, you know, a couple of us would like to ask you if you'd consider running for the board, um, I found a, a new way to be able to interact with my passion for getting us off of our addiction to mainstream media. Yeah. Right. And so because in my opinion, even like our Rachel Maddows are, are participating in the complacency mm-hmm. and the march to the right. Right. By not calling out um the issues with the democrats or with the establishment, right? And Trump gives us a great big evil boogeyman that we can point to all day long and he will continue to give us that content, you know, but it means that when we're when we're wall to wall on how bad Trump is, we're missing a lot of yep. other important things. You're overlooking all
3: the other stuff that's going on that was already a problem and was already broken in our system.
4: So I encourage people to find a space to volunteer, talk to people, make mm-hmm. connections. And plan your next steps. You know, if you have an idea yeah. and a couple of people willing to sit with you to talk it through, then you, you have, you know, a way to, to make something happen in your community.
3: Also, if you don't have an idea, you can look and say, what is it that I do? You'd mentioned on our call before, accountants. Yeah, you're totally. With math we find an organization group, to support
4: and give that skill. Every <laughs> a money person, and they are few and far between. So, if you're one of those people, yeah, find yeah, to <laughs> help them or with their graph- p- <laughs> Yeah, I,
5: I would, I would go so far as to say that some of the people that like the activist community in the United States needs most are like accountants and and people <laughs> who know how to like run organizations and and yeah. organize. That yeah, like that 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 is definitely. Um,
4: Like how to set up your, yes, lawyers, what are the implications, you know, just stuff like that. Or if you're trying to operate within the party, you know, within the democratic party, people who get the party, they understand the bylaws, they understand the structure of the clubs and the layers of governance. Yeah, I mean, just people who are like wonky, they, they perhaps don't feel like there's a space all the time or like graphic designers. You know, the, one of the ways that we've been able to really send some of our projects viral or even like international with the mainstream media is by having, you know, top notch professional graphics that are branding our movements. Right. And, and as you know, and I've been criticized by some in the movement for my sort of marketing thinking about this, but I think branding what we do is really important. Like project mask LA is a brand new thing just popped up out of nowhere. Well, how, and we started asking for money right off the bat. How do people know how to trust it? You know, mm-hmm. the first thing they want to know is who's organizing this. Well, if, if they don't know who Michelle Manos is because they don't know other work that I've done, then how are the, how do they know to give this thing? I'm endorsing money. Mm-hmm. Right. So part of it is like being able to say like, yeah, we are organized. We are professional. We have done this before. And, you know, we're, we're all volunteer and we're bringing our, our very professional skills many times, you know? And so, you know, I have a friend who, uh, her thing is, is social media and, and she's so brilliant at it. And if you can get her on a project and you can get her to focus, right. If she has the time and the capacity, then your whole operation levels up because she knows exactly how to reach Mm -hmm. the people that you need to reach to execute your, your, your vision. You know, so people who bring those kinds of just showing up to a meeting and and getting involved in conversations. First step is showing up and the next step is, you know, putting yourself out there a little bit. Talk to someone, be willing to go have that cup of coffee, even if you're tired and you just want to go home (laughs) you're like, okay, I went to the meeting. I did the thing I said I was going to do. Go get that extra cup of coffee and have a side conversation with someone who thinks that you are interesting or someone that you think is interesting because those are how relationships get built. That's how you build trust in community. And that's when you bring each other onto these kinds of projects and say, Hey, you know what? I was talking to someone the other day and that conversation we had two weeks ago popped into my mind. I really want to bring you in on this. It's little things like that, how we build community and we build these teams for these projects.
3: Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. You're so eloquent and have such a wide range of experiences. I think this was really fascinating. Um, can you uh, tell our listeners where they can find you online, or
4: plug uh, the the projects that you're working on, websites, or anything like that? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm not really on Twitter, but you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. Um, my name is Michelle Manos, and my Instagram is Ms. Lady Mish. M S L A D Y M I C H. And uh, my my heart my my heart is always going to be with Bernie's Coffee Shop. You can mm-hmm. find bernie's coffee shop volunteer office on facebook and at bernie's coffee shop all one word on instagram uh and as you mentioned you know california for progress and currently uh project mask la and you know i'm happy to come back and visit with you all again and Mm -hmm. talk more about the history of what we've been doing or what we're what's going to be coming next so you know because we have to figure out what we're doing about this damn convention mm-hmm. if it's even going to happen. So, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's going to be lots of opportunities to chat in the near future. And,
4: and you know, right. I, I've got some great war stories from the 2016 convention for when the time comes. <laughs> oh, great.
5: Oh yeah, we can... Uh, well, I, I just want to say, uh, I it's so incredible to me that this started uh, as a conversation between you and Katie in a restroom. Uh, and I feel confident <laughs> saying that nothing this positive... Has ever uh, resulted from a conversation in a men's restroom? I do feel like I can state <laughs> that objectively on a historic level.
4: I'm, I, it was fate that brought us together. It may actually have been the last day of our method at the. I think it was because I remember the same day I said to the the girl at the front desk. I'm going to keep coming as long as you guys are here. So thank you for being here. And it was that night that we got the email. Yeah. So I was there when you said
3: that. And we all got a little bit emotional.
4: Yeah, <laughs> we were we're like, like, I'm still emotional about not being able to go to Bar Method. <laughs> I'm well, all messed up about that. <laughs> it, again,
3: community. Uh, you know, I, I rely on seeing people and sharing that energy. I, I hadn't realized that. I mean, I knew it before this happened, but now I realize just how much I rely on it.
4: Yeah. And you know, for me, I, you know, I moved to California in 2008. I, I married the guy that I was dating at the time. We bought a condo, we got a divorce, uh, like just, so I you know, I became a full-time activist. My whole, I, I went to grad school. The only damn constant in my whole life has been that freaking bar method. And I don't, I've been going like over 10 years and I don't yeah. kind of know what to do with it. I hate running. I hate it. so i'm like what do i do you know um but you know this is turning
3: into an ad for bar method it's Uh, a new
4: normal i mean we can say bar class you know but your bar class yeah normal to sort of rethink the ways that we're going about our lives i was talking to someone the other day that said you know i think that in in the united states and the western world is gonna become more like some of the asian countries where wearing a mask is pretty common you know, yeah. even in normal times because people have lived through, you know, a viral pandemic. Yeah. So it's very. It could be very interesting to see where we land on the other side of some of this.
3: Well, I'm looking forward to talking to you when we get there.
4: Yeah, I, I hope we keep checking in and thank you for having you me. I really appreciate it. And again, like, let me stress, I'm. I'm so incredibly supportive of progressive, independent media. So thank you for for having a people powered program and thank you for all that you're doing, Michelle.
5: Thank you for coming on the show, Michelle.
4: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Anytime. Anyway. Everything's so
3: dumb. Everything's so dumb, and it's gonna get dumber.
0: Great. I tried. Yes.
2: Daniel. Lovely.
3: Worst year ever is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep
1: breath, and feel new?